0: Well, welcome back to The Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that helps you translate President Trump. Now, some people who are allies of President Trump wish you were a little harder to translate. (laughs) Right, yeah, no, right, exactly. (laughs) Rather than getting the direct on the chin message. I'm for more the. I like the directness, but, you know, he's had a rough week or two, and we'll talk about that. We take a deeper look at the news of the day, and boy, is it something that's tumultuous. We have gone from COVID obsession to systematic racism obsession to lord knows what what's coming in july or august we still have uh, half the year to go and so we'll, we'll see there will be a football season though right to deliver us yeah okay i don't okay. know, All right, let's I, don't go. know. Anyway, I was more okay. optimistic before but i know i know joining us today heather Macdonald. heather's the thomas w smith fellow the manhattan institute contributing editor of city journal and a new york times bestselling author she is an expert on police behavior statistics crime etc her most recent book is the diversity delusion how race and gender pandering corrupt the university and undermine our culture we're talking about three recent pieces she wrote covering policing and the current protests and uh this will be an interesting conversation uh first a few things on my mind uh, first of all, I, I don't have time to deal with, uh, I don't have time to address uh, Beverly Jernigan's long email, okay. really thoughtful email. Beverly, thank you. It's about COVID, about her, her path to discovery on this, how she thinks the show helped her understand this. Right. I'd like to put a link up to her to her long email okay. if she approves it. Yeah, I'll email Beverly and her. I'll
1: ask her if it's okay for us to post it on uh But it was uh really just very
0: thoughtful and really really appreciate uh her her writing and taking the time to do it. Uh, I don't want to penalize people who write at length. Right. We've but, got a few of those. But I know. Yeah. But uh you know, we'll put with her permission, we'll put it up on the website. Uh, Kathleen uh, writes um, about the uh, discussion we had with Sean Trendy about mm-hmm. polls. She says, I just listened and now I'm genuinely scared that Biden will be elected. it looks worse today than it did last week because the numbers, right? but it's still early and Lord knows what else will happen in this country. Prior. I was fairly confident that Trump, Trump would be reelected. I probably had only been talking, listening to Trump fans, but this is my fear now because I know that you only have the best and brightest guests. Please advise. Well, I don't know. I mean, a, Sean tended to think, tends to think that Biden will win. And, you know, the polls suggest, you know, he's way up, way up, 10, 11, 12, 14 points. But uh, so was Hillary. And I remember way back before you were born, uh, I think Dukakis at about this point, maybe in July, led George Herbert Walker Bush by 15 points. But there never was President Dukakis. Right. So we'll we'll see, but um, a lot will happen. Um, I think that um, circumstances have been very difficult for the president. Uh, my sympathies tend to be with him. I know when he responds, he doesn't respond with the carefully prepared, you know, well-manicured comments that a Joe Biden has when he's reading. When he's not reading, he's a mess. He's all over the map, Biden. And so uh, people take uh, are bothered by his language, his directness. I am not, but I understand some people who are. But we're in very tough times here, and uh, we need directness. We'll see how this all works out. I'm going to talk about the police stuff here in a bit, a couple of minutes before uh, Heather joins us, and then uh, we'll talk extensively with Heather. Mary writes, uh, Mary, we really appreciate your email too. Speaking truth to power is easy. Power listens, but speaking truth to idiots is hard. Okay. It's really an interesting. I never heard that kind of combination before speaking truth to power is easy power because power listens but speaking truth to idiots is hard because idiots don't listen true <laughs> leaders don't always agree with what you say but true leaders listen unfortunately there are too many idiots in power and not enough leaders i don't know what she's talking about me or <laughs> I,
1: don't I don't think she's talking president about joe biden I don't, know. I don't know
0: right now too many people are talking not enough people are listening when we as a country Start listening to comprehend what is being said instead of listening to respond. Our country can start to heal. Very interesting because she doesn't tell us who she's talking about exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
1: You know, it's funny. uh, I heard something similar to that one time when someone said uh, it's hard to win an argument with an intelligent person. But it's impossible to win an argument with an idiot. That's very good. That's the same point. Yeah, that is the same point.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But you maybe
1: American email back and let us. She feels like naming names.
0: You could. She you could. We could email her back. <laughs> um, on the cop stuff, I must say most of this for conversation with Heather. But a few things strike me. First of all, of course, I join with everyone about this horrible, horrific uh, murder of uh, of Mister Floyd uh, by this uh, policeman. Uh, and the power of, uh, of, 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 the, of the cell phone, you know, right, man, right. it just, you know, we'll probably see this again. Um, even though I think cops in general are getting a bad rap here for a few really bad people, we'll see this again. So I think, you know, tighten your seatbelt. Same time, there's been a reaction, um, you know, they burned down this precinct in Minneapolis. They are, they've taken over the central part of city hall uh, there in Seattle. And they're not letting the police in. I mean, this is really kind of crazy stuff. 18 people died in Chicago Sunday, the 31st of May. All black people. Do those black lives matter? I would think they do. But, you know, they don't get the attention now. I understand the difference. But, um, you know, respect for human life, respect for the life of black people. I just, you know, not a word about it at the funeral. And um, there should be. Um that's one. That's one of my thoughts. The other thought is, and uh, and we'll we'll get into this in more detail with uh, with Heather. I, and I, I think I, I think I'm probably going on Fox on this tonight or tomorrow night. Uh, back with not with my drug czar hat on, but my Secretary of Education hat on. Lives of Black children matter, and I just want to talk about one of the things. that's mainly because of COVID, but school's been out for a long time. Not clear that school will be back in September, particularly in our big cities. Uh, the point I would make is that a lot of kids have lost the equivalent of a full school full school years worth of academic gains because you lose it. You can lose it faster than you can gain it. So you're out of school for three months. You don't lose three months. You might lose six months or even more. Uh, and kids who are in, um, in 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 the poorer part of the population, white, black, uh, Hispanic, they tend to lose more because they start with less. Racial and socioeconomic achievement gaps will widen, are widening in this school closed down environment. Uh, and one reason they vary is because poor kids have less access to computers, home internet connections, and direct instruction. So most students are losing ground, particularly in math. You know, if you lose, if you're out of school three months, you lose three months of history, or maybe six months. But you're very likely going to lose a lot more than that in math. Research can now estimate the size of the learning loss students have experienced. I'm reading here an article from uh, the New York Times. Uh, Because regular standardized testing has been suspended. Well, remember, that went out the boards. We can't measure it by by all the means that we'd like. But the impact of the current crisis is very serious. So, you know, my motto, uh, former Sec of Ed here, is uh, black children's minds matter. And Hispanic children's minds matter, white children's minds matter. But as with everything, like earthquakes, how serious the earthquake is depends upon how stable the, gra- the ground is on which you are standing right. or the structure in which you are living. Get it. New York Times, the average student could begin the next school year having lost as much as a third of their expected progress or more in reading, half of their expected progress in math or more. Uh, and this is from Brown and University of Virginia. So when all of the impacts are taken into account, the average student could fall seven months behind academically. Black and Hispanic students, disproportionately poor, lower income, could experience even greater learning losses, equivalent to 10 months for black children and nine months for Latinos. That's an analysis from, um, from the McKinsey Company. Um, so, you know, what's the answer? Well, let's get them back in school, we say. Let's get these kids back in school so they can learn. It's a, it's a double problem, though. When they're out of school, they don't learn. And unfortunately, when they're in a lot of schools, they don't learn. Uh, I'm reading here from uh, Walter Williams. These uh, Democrat and union-controlled cities have the poorest, poorest quality public education systems, despite growing budgets. Baltimore, in 2016, in 13 of Baltimore's 39 high schools, not a single student was proficient on the state's math exam. Wow. Not a single kid 13 out of 39. 13 out of 39. Six other high schools, only 1% tested proficient in math. That's maybe three kids. 15% of Baltimore students passed the state's English test, 15%. That same year in Philadelphia, 19% of eighth graders scored proficient in math. 16% were proficient in reading. In Detroit, only 4% of its eighth graders scored proficient in math. And 7% were proficient in reading. It's the same story. In other cities um, where the unions are strong, the Democrats are running them. the uh, The point I want to make here, a large point, is we're having a discussion about race and police and policing, and it's fine. I have this discussion. I hope it leads to good things. But don't we want to pay some attention to the greenhouse, the generator, the you know, uh, the beginnings of of, uh, of of people's problems? If kids aren't educated. And they can't be proficient in math and reading. What are their jobs? Where are they going to live? And how are they are going to act? And how many interactions are they going to have with the police? Could we at least look at the whole question of education and readiness and uh, being ready for the world to work uh, as a serious question, too? Mm-hmm. Think we could? Do you have any comments? No, it's on interesting
1: this? because you know when when you cite those numbers and we and we've talked about a lot of this uh, from failing schools uh, in, in the cities uh, to different home dynamics and, and one parent ho- uh, household. Um, I, I see a lot of organizations in these cities that are dedicated to try to help when it comes to education and things like this. I just wonder where's the disconnect because there's there, there's no shortage of organizations doing the work. I mean, you know, Mrs. Bennett runs a great organization here in D.C. and the Best Friends Foundation. And you just and so you look at these organizations, you know I, I give to these organizations money and time, and I'm trying to figure out the work that they do versus some of the results that we see i don't where is the disconnect uh, uh, or or is it more of a slow progression towards progress in these areas that that maybe the problem is just outrunning the outpacing the progress?
0: It's, mul- it's a I'm great sorry question. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm.
1: Because there's no shortage. I, I don't think there's a shortage of people who care about these situations. I mean, you care about it. There's so many people who care about it and so many people who are helping and trying to do their part. How does the problem continue to outpace? It's the, the so very, very
0: well put. Your question is very well put. There's no shortage of people who care. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a shortage of people who are willing to roll up sleeves and go to work like mm-hmm. Mrs. Bennett. Mm-hmm. But generally, there are a lot of people who care. You tell them and they'll give money and you do and I do and a lot of people do. But uh, no shortage of money and no shortage of studies that have been done. The problems are many, manifold. First of all, a lot of these kids come to school not ready. You know, you know, those studies that talk about the vocabulary of kids who grow up poor, vocabulary of kids growing up middle class, vocabulary of kids growing up upper class. And the differences in vocabulary are huge, enormous. Then there's the question of parental support okay. and parental interest. You know, Bill Raspberry, who wrote for years, a uh, black man, and wrote for the Washington Post, talked about, you know, you got, he, he came up with the phrase, the soft bigotry of low expectations. And he said, there's a bigotry of low expectations in a lot of classrooms for, for kids of color. But there's also a bigotry of low expectations in many homes. Mm. People don't expect their kids to be up to par or don't demand it. Absence of fathers, mm-hmm. you got to say, is a huge uh, issue. It's a huge, huge deal. Um, and so the question of the child's readiness when the child when the child comes to school. Then there's the question of the curriculum and I you know, this is where yeah. I've I've you know, been fighting for years, which is that where the unions dominate, they tend to go with the progressive curriculum rather than with the basic curriculum of math, English, history, science, art and music. And that's what it should be. So I expect a proliferation, all sorts of courses in high schools about White racism about uh, black uh, black entitlement about uh, jobs about all sorts of things which may or may not be worthy to talk about but they're not the fundamental subjects kids should be learning okay. which is how to read and write and count think mm-hmm. and so there's uh, there's that uh, there's that problem but the other point I'd make is school is for a lot of these kids the best institution they have mm-hmm. right you know Mrs Bennett has made the point you don't see black kids shooting up school, their schools. That is a really profound point.
1: We were discussing this about a year ago, yeah. and she came in and blew our minds with that. Yeah. It was uh, you, me, and Dr. Curtis, our guy in Baltimore. That's right. And and you posed the question, how come we don't see this in inner city schools? And we just couldn't think of the answer. She came in and said, because for a lot of these kids, even the ones who act up a lot in school, this is the safest place that they have.
0: It's also for a lot of kids, some kids, the place where they get the best meal in their day. Yeah. for two of the best meals, place where they may have the best guidance and mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, do I want the kids to go back to Baltimore schools as bad as they are? <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Right. Yeah. Because for a bunch of them, it still may provide sort of basic sustenance, both nurture, food, and... and a few hours of protection. with a few hours of protection, a safe where, yeah. place, relatively, and a, a few mentors, if not role models. Yeah. But I do want it to improve, Uh, and I want want it to improve academically. But, you know, if we're talking about society and society's problems, it seems to me this is one thing we need to talk about as well as interactions with the police. I'm not recommending this. Let me say it again. I'm not recommending this. But Plato, in his dialogues, audience has heard me on this before, has said, once children are born, if you want to do the the best you can to equalize opportunity, is you need to remove them all from their parents. (laughs) yeah I you don't know how that strikes you lose right. Manny. <laughs> oh my goodness. and put them all in the same environment because so much is determined and made by the environment yeah I mean you can see your home schooling your mm-hmm. son absolutely your your um uh, your wife's mother your mother uh, my your mother. grandmother yeah well my mother his grandmother your mother his grandmother <laughs> um is is home schooling and you can see the profound difference, right? Oh, absolutely. You can see him compared to kids who are in normal schools.
1: Yeah, I mean, Manny will walk up to, you know, I mean, just in the way he interacts with adults, he'll walk up to any adult, he'll right. look them in the eye, he'll shake their hand, he'll, confident. Speak, exactly, he'll speak confident. to them, and yep. uh, you know, respectfully. And uh, it's just different because ever since being – a baby he was never spoken to like a baby or, or just a mass kind of right, right. Uh, a gathering of children in a generic right. kind of way he's he's been spoken to that way since being a kid and you're you're advantaging
0: him excuse me I shouldn't use this as a verb but you're giving him advantages as you know mm-hmm. that's why you're doing it absolutely that other kids don't have right and so that's uh, that's that's part of the answer that's part of the answer as well um so you know if you're going to address the problem of, of of human equality, you have to look at all pieces of it. And you can't just look at adults who have, you know, lived and got on. I mean, you know, George Floyd, you know, at the funeral they were very tactful and said, well, you know, he wasn't the best of guys or maybe he wasn't, you know. He had a long arrest record. He right. He had a pretty, pretty, pretty bad record. Um, In no way does that justify what the officer did. Right. But, you know, how does a society make it possible for people to come into life better and to do better? Mm-hmm. By gosh, the schools have to be one answer to that. I mean, uh, maybe I'm just saying that because it's been my faith for so long and been, you know, part of my profession for so long. But, you know, for some people, by the time they meet the cops, it's late. It's already too late. Right. And,. You know the contact isn't going to be good. Go ahead.
1: You know, I had uh, just another kind of question, and, and I don't mean for it to be so broad and wide, wide ranging. But when you when you talk about the fact that okay, um, you know, if you want every all the kids to start off equal, they have them remove, remove them from the parents. You know, but for for so many, um, when they're born in a situation, when when you're born and just you come home from the hospital and you're in the projects and you already have so much weighing against you, and you're just two weeks old. Um, you know, so many can point the finger and say, well, when you look at the country's racist history, when you look at slavery, when you look at discrimination, a lot of these people, you know, are just generationally the product of, of that. And you can point to it, and as much truth as, as you want to associate that with, uh, the question still remains, all right, with that being known, said, acknowledged – where do you pick up from here to make sure that this kid who is coming into a disadvantaged situation or have been living in a disadvantaged situation for the first 10 years of their life, how do we make sure that how do we stop from pointing the finger to whatever we want to blame for it? Because that's not going to fix anything. How do we continue to move forward to to, to fixing it for those individuals?
0: I think one short answer is we have to address the externalities like police, like economic system, like job opportunity. But you have to address the internal ones too. Okay, external. Internal. You know, the things that you have to do for yourself and the things that you need to do for your children. And it's hard. It's hard to raise children, hard to raise children successfully, uh, no matter what your circumstances. Um, you know, there are casualties in families of all economic levels, all races. Yes. It's difficult, but I think that that's what you do. You do, you do everything you can. Yeah. It's not exactly a policy prescription, but it's important, I think, to look at the whole picture or look at as many aspects of the picture as you
1: can. Yeah, not because. So, my my mother grew up, her and her seven seven siblings, on public assistance, on you know, Section Eight, on food stamps. Uh, we grew up; things were better for us. But then my father passed away, and I was twelve. My brother is, uh, he was ten. My sister was thirteen, about to turn fourteen. Uh, but my mom, you know, did whatever she had to do, you know, things like that. But then I think about, as you pointed out, now she's homeschooling my son from what I understand, see in my future and what's happening with us, you know, we're much better generation generationally than my mother was and even my grandmother where, man, he's never going to have to be on public assistance. And he's got, you know, probably more money in in, in a college fund and in, and in his little bank account savings account than my mother ever had growing up or, or, or even yeah, most of her adult yeah. life. And, you know, those, like you said, those kinds of – that kind of progress comes uh, at the sacrifice of another generation. And just thinking about it, I'm just wondering, you know, growing up and being a teen, I don't remember my mom enjoying a lot of luxuries, uh, but at the expense of being able to try to send her kids to private schools and get them in work programs and things like that. Um, so there, there is the external change that has to happen, but there's also the internal your mother, okay, your it, yeah. mother, the
0: internal, yeah. I mean, internal to the family. Yeah. Her priorities was, were, were right. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, and excellent. Mm-hmm. And a lot of priorities of a lot of parents aren't. And that's true in the black community, that's true in the white community, true in the Hispanic community. And those parental priorities can just determine a ton of what right. happens for those children that's in the great. future. Claude Madge's comment that, sure. that we have just done in part, only in small part, but mm-hmm. you and I, white man and black man, have just had a conversation about race in America.
1: Well, a, a former Attorney General Eric Holder said we should, so we, so
0: we just did. doing the right thing. I hope we are.
1: But let me just say this: it's and, and, and it's it's more heady than what. Uh, and yeah. then what I think happens a lot of times when it's just okay, well, all police, are, you know, you hear people say police are hunting down black people, and we we know that that's not true. But then we also know that there's folks just like the young, the the, the woman Amy Cooper who called the police on the guy Christian Cooper in the in the park and said I'm going to tell them that a black man is, hara-. so we know that that exists as well, and that's just a way to dialogue and talk about it on a heavier level than than. That surface stuff. Um, That's right. Because so really, at the same time, it's like, so what are we going to do? You know, what are we, we going to point fingers and blame or are we going to figure out a way for all of us to, to get through well, we this? We
0: point fingers and blame when when it's appropriate to. Mm-hmm. But I tend to think that pointing fingers and blame should be almost always individual. Okay, right. Not group. Mm-hmm. When someone says the black community, um, which one are we talking about? <laughs> you know. Right, right. Um, white cops, which ones are we talking about? Mm-hmm. White society, which ones are we talking about? I mean, Heather will talk about, you know, what I experienced, how well drugs are. But she, one of her essays, she talks about how when she goes to the projects, she talks to people. She said these, just several examples of these elderly women who say the only time I'm comfortable going down to the lobby is when the cops are here. Mm-hmm. So otherwise, it's filled with young men and right, right. criminals. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember, you know, the story I, I've told you and this audience when I went to Boston and walked around and uh, uh, in the neighborhoods, uh, you know, I said to people, do you, how do you feel about the drug thing? They said, lock these people up, keep them in jail. Don't let them out. Why do you let them out? Why do you let them come back? And we have to hide in our houses because of these guys. That night I went to Harvard and it was all about drug legalization. Well, <laughs> all these fancy white people, excuse me, I'm doing what I just said I shouldn't do, but you know, it just happened to be, we're all about legalization. Nobody in the black community, I talk to uh want to talk about legalization. They want to talk about can't you keep these guys behind bars because they're destroying our way of life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can have good conversations about this. By the way, if the audience wants to contribute to this conversation,
1: oh please do, please do. Uh, Bill Bennett Podcast at
0: Gmail dot com is the email address. Right, and you don't have to identify yourself as whether you're or right. you're. Right. You don't have to identify your gender <laughs> or t- race. You Have to <laughs> identify your gender. <laughs> Or race or gender preference.
1: Right, exactly. Or racial preference. I you, guess so. That you're white but you prefer to be black.
0: Or Can you do that?
1: <laughs> if they want to, they can. But there's That no woman out Cal- in
0: Seattle or Portland, remember? Rachel Dolazar. Yeah, on yeah you remember her, yeah. <laughs> How she, could you forget? She was head of affirmative action or something. In
1: ACP, right? Or something like NAACP, that. And, yeah,
0: craziness. And she was white, white as she could be. and Said she was black, I don't know. Her parents thought it was nuts. Her parents <laughs> thought it was nuts, and they knew for sure she was white. <laughs> oh, my goodness! Okay. Couldn't right. make this up. Okay. You are
1: listening to The Bill Bennett Show.
0: Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org. presentdangerchina.org. You are listening to The Bill Bennett Show. All right, it's time to welcome Heather MacDonald to the program. Heather is the Thomas W. Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute, which is a fine place. She's a contributing editor of City Journal. Heather, thank you so much. You are very busy these days. Is there anybody like you uh, out there with the numbers, the accurate numbers about policing?
2: Well, you would hope criminologists would would have those numbers because they are certainly publicly available, but they choose not to look at them and certainly not to publicize the fact that policing today is driven by crime. Race has nothing to do with it. And uh, given the massive crime disparities in this country and disparities in victimization as well, uh, the police, not by their own choosing, are going to be disproportionately in minority neighborhoods in to Order to save lives
0: And the figure that you see most often on the TV screen—what um, is that figure? The one that's uh, that's bandied about—is it something like blacks are two and a half more times more likely, or or a larger number, to be killed by police than than whites?
2: Well, I don't know what you're referring to, but you know, let's let's take that. Possibly, uh, there's a thousand people each year who were killed by the police. The vast, vast majority of those uh, violent, armed, and, and resisting arrest, uh, that's out of the 11 million arrests that cops make each year. Cops every day get about 27 deadly weapons assaults on them. For every 10 of those attacks on a cop, they kill at most one person. Again, this is somebody who has got a gun and is threatening them. Of that 1,000 people who the cops kill each year, about a quarter are black. Now, that is a higher proportion than the black population in the country, which is about 13%. So the anti-cop ideologues look at that disparity, look no further and say this shows that the police are targeting blacks uh, out of racial animus. But what is inevitably left out of that type of analysis, Bill, is crime rates. Because again, policing today is data-driven and police go where there are drive-by shootings, where children are being shot... Uh, in these gang retaliatory shootings and they go where the community is begging them for help and that is overwhelmingly in black communities sadly you know there's, the, the, there's there's thousands of law-abiding black residents of these communities who want the same thing that everybody else wants they want to be able to go to the store without fear pick up their their mail in their lobby and and when the police back off and, and the criminals reign supreme, they cannot do that. So if you look at what the crime rates are, blacks commit a, over 50% of all shootings, of all homicides, excuse me, in this country. Uh, that's a much greater disparity than the 25% of, of fatal victims of police shootings Who are black? Uh, Blacks commit about 60% of all robberies in the country. So that means that when the cops are going to the scene of a drive by shooting uh, in big cities, they're almost always being given the description of a black suspect and they're being called there by a black victim. So when you factor crime into the equation, the disparity goes away. In fact, blacks are actually killed less by the police than their crime rates would predict. And the Justice Department has known for decades that the, the biggest determinant of, of officer behavior is suspect behavior. If you resist arrest, and you know a lot of these victims of police shootings, including the one who have been turned into martyrs, they were resisting arrest. Here's how you don't get shot by a cop. You comply. You don't resist. Uh, and, and so that is what predicts these shootings. When you take that into account, the disparity goes away.
0: Is there any grounds for complaint in the black community about police brutality, police dis- uh, disparity in treatment? Overall, is there a legitimacy to the complaint that cops treat blacks differently?
2: I don't believe so. I think that, again, what matters is suspect behavior. And if you're resisting arrest, the cop is going to escalate his own use of force. We don't hear about the white victims of fatal police shootings because they don't fit the narrative. But in, in 2016, uh, in Dallas, there was an incident with a white guy that adumbrated the awful George Floyd arrest and death uh, quite startlingly this was a guy who was drug addict but schizophrenic and off his meds and he called 911 for help and the cops there three of them he was handcuffed and they kept him pinned down for 13 minutes as he was begging for help and they were laughing and joking and he died a combination like Mr Floyd of Of cocaine in the system drugs and the effects of the hold Uh, they had their pressure on his back. So there's many others in 2015. There was a 50 year old guy in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, who ran at the cop with a spoon in a domestic violence incident. He was shot. So there are questionable shootings. Uh, there's cops with awful, officious attitudes, you know, contemptuous of the public for sure, but. On the data overall, I don't see it. Again, there is arguably a black crime tax. Given the massive disparities in violent street crime, it probably is the case that a law-abiding black man has a greater chance over the course of his lifetime of being stopped and questioned by a cop because he meets a suspect description than a white guy. And again, this is all driven by crime. In Chicago, blacks and whites are each a little under a third of the city's population. Blacks commit 80% of all drive-by shootings and homicides in Chicago whites less than one percent a black Chicagoan is 50 times five zero times more likely to commit a shooting than a white Chicagoan so given that when the cops have been given when they rarely are but if somebody's finally complying and cooperating with the police following a shooting rather than having the no snitch uh, ethic, the cops in Chicago are virtually never given the description of a white in a drive-by shooting because that's not who's committing it. So that is going to determine, tragically, again who who the cops are looking for. The solution we don't have a policing problem in the country, Bill. We have a crime problem, and the solution to any problems in policing, and, and I'm certainly willing to talk about uh, some union reforms. Say, but overwhelmingly, the issue is. One that is driven by crime. We have a crime problem, not a policing problem. And the police are called to these neighborhoods in order to save black lives.
0: Uh, What was the number on uh, May 31st in Chicago? Black people killed.
2: I think 18, 18 people killed and 80 shot the the highest in the history of the city since it started keeping records and that's what I have called in the past the Ferguson effect cops are backing off the looting you know that and that was because the city was in burning up uh there were rampaging mobs everywhere and people said sort of out of awe my God, there's no police around. This is great. And all hell broke out. And that's what happens when the cops back off.
0: Okay, and, and, and this movement, is it a movement, to uh, clearly a movement to defund or at least change funding, reduce funding for police in a lot of the cities? Uh, and I guess even at the edges, some talk about getting rid of the police, which is impossible. Will this come to fruition, you think, in a lot of cities? They will defund, they will cut funding? I guess they already have in Los Angeles.
2: Yeah, I think they will. I think they will move it into social services, and we've tried that. New York City was the welfare capital of the world, of of the United States, rather, through the 70s and 80s. It spent one in every seven welfare dollars spent in the United States, and crime continued to go up. There was no dearth of social service spending in New York City nor is there currently. The only thing that brought crime down was proactive data-driven policing. Uh, so the idea that a social worker is going to reduce crime is ridiculous. The, the best solution to crime is the two-parent family. Short of that, you've got to deal with the gangbangers and you've got to arrest them and you've got to lock them up.
0: What good could come of this quote conversation if that's what we're having uh, in this country? What what ideas, policy ideas would make sense either from the federal government or state government?
2: Well, there are some police unions, not all of them, that are very strong and they make it they do make it hard to discipline and fire uh, those few bad cops and big city chiefs, to my respect, have have complained about that. Now I'm going to give the other side. A union is going to say our our chiefs are beholden to the Democratic mayors, and they're going to want a scapegoat in the case of a controversial shooting that the media has blown blown you know into the atmosphere for for maximal uh, racial grievance and. So we have to push back with all our might against politically motivated, uh, discipline. So that's what they're going to say. And in some cases, there, there's a grain of truth to that. But I, I, I would certainly be willing to look at these measures and get input from police chiefs. I don't want to hear about from the radicals, but I would like input from police chiefs on that. Uh, what, what cops are desperate for is more hands-on tactical training and they need more de-escalation training and they need it regularly, regular updates, training in how to control their stress. A lot of these, uh, shootings that are questionable are because the officers are scared. They're facing, they're in a very, very tough situation. They don't know how to control their stress, uh, and that results in poor decision making. What is not going to help and this will be, of course, what is pr- promoted and is being promoted right now is something called implicit bias training, which is ridiculous. I, I attended a federally funded implicit bias training outside of St. Louis several years ago, and it was just an insult to cops intelligence. Uh, so that that's going to be a, a, a tragic waste of taxpayer
0: dollars. I know we have to let you go very soon. You're very busy Yeah. and we appreciate it. But two things. People talk about the black community. We see the protests. We see the people with signs, Black Lives Matter. Who is the black community? I was very moved by a couple of your articles you talked about. And this echoed my experience uh, when I was drug czar going into communities. Some elderly women in the projects who said, I don't go downstairs to the lobby unless the cops are there. Who is the black community? If you took a, an anonymous vote, from all blacks in America. Yes, cops are
2: not cops. Yes, cops. Uh, you know, the, the percentage of blacks who want more cops is twice as high uh, in one poll I've seen as the percentage of whites who want more cops. Black communities are filled with people, hard workers, small entrepreneurs. I, I've heard their voices time and again in police community meetings, begging for more police. Uh, a woman burst out in the forty-first precinct of the South Bronx, an elderly woman, several years ago, apropos of nothing. How lovely when we see the police; they are my friends. That is how people in those communities, the law-abiding residents, think about the cops. Uh, there's Um, Sadly, there's other people who are absolutely committed to racial victimology because there's a hell of a lot of power attached with playing white guilt, as Shelby Steele has described. And we're in for uh, a tsunami at the moment of racial grievance and racial preferences, unlike anything we have seen. But. That is not the entirety of the black community.
0: Okay, not even a major- not a majority, you don't think?
2: I'm not qualified to make that judgment. Okay. But, uh, but certainly those people who support the police, okay. their voices should be heard.
0: Last question. Just watched uh, Seattle, part of the uh, center city there, not the inner city, the center city where the capital is and so on. It's been taken over by demonstrators. Just saw the, a lot of signs up saying Black Lives Matter. Uh, my colleague and I were sitting here trying to find a black person in this th- wrong and we found a couple. Um, is this is this truly in their minds about black people or is this about something have to do with something larger, which you've written about, which I've written about, called civilization?
2: Well, yes. I, the the rioting that we've seen, I mean, we've lived through three months of, of utter government catastrophe, catastrophic failure between the shutdowns of the economy and then failure to prevent rioting. Uh, if that continues, the precedent that's been set is an attack on civil And, yes, this comes out of the university, the uh, quotaizing that we're going to see, the idea of white supremacy being still the dominant uh, ideology in the United States. That's a university concept that has now been embraced by every single corporation in this country, and it is an attack on Western civilization.
0: Heather, thanks very much. We'll be watching you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. A little little postscript to... um Heather, who Heather MacDonald, who extremely busy, We're grateful for her time. Very busy. I thought she had a dishwasher going, but it was her <laughs> That's fan. What it I, sounded I, like. I, yeah, I was hesitant to interrupt her because <laughs> Heather will say, "Oh, never mind," and hang up. You know, I mean, no, she won't do that. But she, <laughs> she's got a lot of. She's in demand. So yes, she I is. I didn't want to test her patience. She's in the,
1: demand, and, and and she's in command too. I mean, she.
0: She, she is, is, but she uh, she said no. It was the fan, and she fixed it. Something you focused on, I heard her say, which is, yeah, given the incidence of crime in the black community, it is likely, more likely that a black man will have an unpleasant, at least unpleasant, right experience with the police than white. And you talked about one. In oh, your yeah. Experience.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, in my experience, I mean, I, you know, 14 years old, uh, grandmother's porch, uh, same house that I grew up in. I mean, I grew up there. Was in my grandmother's house for the first twelve years of my life. Going to visit her one weekend. My mom's in her car dropping me off. My brother's in the car with her. And uh, next thing I know, police uh, officers coming into the yard. Uh, he says, "Stay on the porch." Uh, he's got his gun out already. I didn't. I didn't know he was looking for uh, coming to approach me. I thought something was happening down the street. And he was just coming to this porch. I don't know whether to get better access. I don't know what he was trying to do. But then he comes up uh, from the yard, up the stairs, and he says, stay where you are. I was about to go into the house uh, to, to stay safe. Maybe there's a shootout or something. And then he's like, no, don't move. Don't move. And then, you know, he forces me to the ground, gun to the back of my head. He's searching me. Your head. Yeah, 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 yeah. He pulls the gun out, the guns the guns to the back of my head, fourteen years old. And I mean, you know, now, now I am not physically imposing. Imagine me at fourteen years old. I mean, I'm yeah. skinning it short. And uh and yeah, and so uh force the ground gun to the back of your head, he's asking questions, he's going through your pockets, all this stuff. My grandmother's on the porch well my grandmother's at her door uh yelling at the officer this is my grandson this is my grandson mm-hmm. my mom's in the car you know she's screaming we just got here he's visiting his grandmother there's his grandmother in the door he's not listening to either one of them and um and so he so after about what 10 minutes 10 minutes or so get off the ground uh and then uh, he says yeah well we got a couple reports about about break-ins in the house in the, in, in houses on the street uh and you fit the description uh, but then after talking to neighbors uh, and my grandmother talking to some folks saying, oh, nobody's reported any break ins. Nobody, you know, um, there hadn't been any from what a number uh, numerous neighbors had said. And so, yeah. And, you know, when we talked about this before on the radio show, you know, and I hadn't I never thought about this. Do you remember our friend from Detroit, older black gentleman? Uh, talked about some of uh, sisters and stuff, how he's been supporting his family. Yes. Yeah, I think he owned a gas station, maybe, or something like yes, that. Yes, how
0: he talked about the generation, his sister right. was proud of how much she was getting from the government.
1: Right, right, right. He called and said, You know, Claude, you, you can believe that. He said, But there are so many who will say, Well, we're looking for for a suspect who fits your description, and if they get lucky and you have something on you, you're going to jail. And he said, He, had, he echoed sentiments of a lot of older black men that I knew who said they weren't looking for anybody. You, you were standing there, and they did. Did that and you know, if you had something on you, you'd have, you know, or have, made a wrong move. Have you had other
0: encounters with the police that were okay?
1: Uh, so I, yes, I mean, minor traffic stops, it where I was definitely running past the stop sign or something like that, but and the, they were fine, they, didn't, they they
0: treated you all right, respectfully. correct, correct, okay. yeah.
1: Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I've, I've had bad run ins, I've had good run ins.
0: Well, I mean, I do think there's you know, some truth to that, to what Corey Gardner said, you know. And, a white guy in a white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, what she says here about neighborhoods and, and the intensity and density of crime in a neighborhood, you're going to be, you know, you, you're in a combat zone. You're going to be more alert, you know, to trouble and problem. And you may be quicker to pull that gun, mm-hmm. not in the circumstance you are you were talking about. I was taken by two things she said, which is that uh, it is 50 times more likely that a, a black will Commit a shooting in Chicago than a white fifty times, and God, it's got to be fifty times as many black victims. Too. Right? Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The victims. Eighteen that Sunday in Chicago. Eighteen. Do those lives matter? And then the other thing she said, which is that, um, in talking about the, the the lady who said, "God bless the cops" or "I love the cops," what was the expression?
1: Oh yeah, she said yeah when when. She doesn't come downstairs in the lobby unless they're cops are Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. They're yeah. my friends or something like that, she said. They're my friends,
0: yeah. Um, that uh, b- members of the black community are twice as likely to say they want more policing sure, than members of the white yeah, community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where the problems are. So these things to carry forward. She's obviously not optimistic about how this conversation ends up in terms of policy, in terms of what she talked about, corporations, and so on. I fear... Two things, the Ferguson effect, which is that uh, as the cops hear all this bile uh, and hatred toward all of them, not just the ones who deserve it, they're going to pull back. Mm-hmm. They're going to pull back. And when they pull back, because they're needed more in the inner city, in the black communities, there's going to be more crime. Right. That's the Ferguson effect. That's what Roland Fryer at Harvard, a black scholar, had, uh, had written about. And the other thing I worry about... Is that um, you know? There'll just be this this there'll be this massive overplay of uh, people who see a, ta- a target and an opportunity to go after cities, so, you know, white establishment, the president, whatever. And you know, we're seeing I guess already more, many more demonstrations than we saw in '68. Oh yeah. I don't know how the violence stacks up. I'm still not prepared to say this is. Worse than 68. But it's it's serious. The other thing I didn't get to ask her is the question of gullibility of the American people. You know, all of a sudden, 80% of the American people believe there's systematic racism in the police force. How, why do they believe that? Because well, they saw this this clip, uh, the cell phone, you know, of, of Floyd, horrible thing, and have been told that there's racism, systematic racism, so they repeat it. Just like with the COVID, they were told that they were threatened and no chances are they're going to get it. And a lot of people they know we're going to die. And just uh, people become kind of just passive receivers of information. They don't talk about it. They don't think about it. You know, the problem with the cell phone is that it's ubiquitous. So if you have three incidents a year, like George Floyd spread out over the year, you got enough ammo to have, uh, excuse the expression, Mm -hmm. demonstrations and stuff all the time. But tenacious 325 million people. You could have three incidents. You could have 30 incidents like that and still say, this is wayward cops. This isn't typical. But the cops have millions of contacts with civilians every year. So if some infinitesimal percentage of that turns out to be 30 or 40, you could be getting three George Floyd um, iPhone uh, videos a month, enough to keep the fires burning, if you then think that's typical. and This is the problem with generalizing from the particular i can find an example of anything in america and then say see see this is how typical this is well remains to be seen any comment
1: well no you know i just we talk about discussions and talks you know especially you know in black families with black men you know the the talk it's 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 interesting even speaking with my mother uh she you know a mama always worries right and she's uh, and again you may not have to have a ton of bad runners with the police, but two or three will change the way, you know, will will make you a little nervous when one comes around, especially if one's had his guns in the back of your head. And she, and she in recent days have asked me, Hey, when you're out there, how close is your phone to you? You know, you you hit record, have the video. Um, uh, interesting. And yeah, here's, here's, here's a mom who's had this talk with her, with two, with both of her sons before. And she's kind of doing it again. And, and, you know, you make sure you and not just with the police, but, you know, she called and was talking about that after the Amy Cooper situation in the park with the guy Christian Cooper, where she says, I'm going to call the police on you. I'm going to tell them. Oh, the bird, the bird watcher. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to tell them that, you know, a black man is threatening me. And then she called the police and said exactly that, because she she had an idea in her mind what that would mean. And he knew what that meant. And um, and, you know, she's like, just just have it on you. Don't be confrontational. Pull the
0: camera out if you have to. And uh, yeah, the only you know. thing I'd add to that woman in the park—everybody thought she was a Trump supporter. <laughs> she, she was a Hillary supporter, <laughs> which is what you know. A lot of black leaders say these—you know—these liberals are really <laughs> worthless when it comes to it. You know, <laughs> right. they're not. They really will you not know, stand up for you, and they're—they're they're quick to to <laughs> drop, you know, drop it on you. Sure. <laughs> anyway, no, 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 no. He's, he's, it's no, but I can see the reason for the advice. Yeah. You want the evidence? You know. All right well I think that concludes it but I know we're going to get a ton of emails on this sure so right so how do people write to us to get their email on the show Sure. just email Bill Bennett podcast at gmail.com
2: there you go that's it <music>